1: Today's episode of Mother Folklore is made possible by the show's generous supporters on Patreon, supporters like Robert Bohanek. Robert is one of a number of Patreon supporters who've chosen to make an annual subscription. Listeners who support the show on Patreon get access to bonus content, including bonus episodes, live Q&As, blooper reels, and discount codes, such as a discount for our show's artist, Kristen Scheel. You can find out more at patreon.com forward slash Tarek. And now, the show. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to Mother Folklore, a podcast of words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I'm Derek O'Shea. Some of you will have seen the Late Late Toy Show last Friday, and I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to be beaten by RTE, so I'm going to have my own toy show. Although for me, toys are books—the best, the best gifts of all. And so I thought I would have to do an episode where I would introduce you to uh, one of Ireland's best booksellers, who is going to talk about the, the business of running a bookshop in 2020—a very unusual year, a very hard year for retailers in particular, but also. Someone who has supported the Irish language in their bookselling work, and someone who can give us an insight into this wonderful world—the world, the world of books—is the happiest world of all. Folger, the fuck, Lord Thomas Kenny.
0: Folger, there. Thanks for having me.
1: My absolute pleasure. How are you getting on?
0: Mighty, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's as you say. It's, it's been a very, very strange year. Um, you know, and and bookselling personally for everybody and professionally for everybody you know so it's been it's been one of great upheaval I mean we're we're doing very well now um you know we're really really happy with where we are we couldn't be any better given the pandemic uh, In that it's been a really really busy last six or seven weeks uh in the company but it, it but it's been a it was, that followed an extraordinarily lean I suppose first half of the year when everyone was terrified so we're kind of clawing back the ground that we lost but, uh, but yeah we're doing really good I mean we're so happy and thrilled that so many people across the island have supported us and and every other you know local bookshop um uh, against the the nameless faceless corporations out there which uh you know every time you open a newspaper and you see their billions increasing um exponentially mm-hmm. uh you know and and yet here you know all we've seen all year has been people supporting us people have you know the, the year has brought things like a, a lot of problems with um the supply chain, you know, both in terms of delivery on posts, they're slower than normal because the volume right. they're they're dealing with is so high. And similarly couriers into us are a bit slower from the publishers. And people are so patient, you know, they're uh, if there is a delay with their order, they're just everybody is really nice. There's a really great sense of coming together and of supporting local. And I mean from talking to booksellers up and down the island, like that's that's been reflected everywhere. And uh, it's uh, you know it's it's terrific and yeah so we're, we we feel even though it's been a very difficult year we
1: feel really really lucky. And Kenny's Bookshop, go institution.
0: Yeah, um, we're yeah we're we're eighty years going now as of uh, uh, two days ago. <laughs> Eight years <laughs> um, and two days, and yeah, we are an institution, I suppose at this point. I mean, my my grandmother and my grandfather started it in nineteen forty. Uh, they had six kids, and uh, five of the kids. Went into the business. One rogue decided to become a teacher, <laughs> um, but everybody else was involved. In, and what was really interesting is everyone did their own thing. If you know what I mean, like uh, one one. Uh, my father set up the art gallery. Um, we have the book binder. He set up his own book bindery. Uh, we have um, a guy who went. My uncle went out and did uh, library supply in the in the in the United States. And um, then we, I have another uncle who, who basically manned the shop and uh, also set up a book club, um, which was in the 90s in particular, very, very big. And uh, so, yeah. And then they obviously all had children. And, and uh, you know, they're they're all, I mean, I have 26 cousins, first cousins in the Kenny side of the family. And mm-hmm. I would have worked with all of them at some point. And uh, as it stands now, I'm coming into work. And my sister is here. My cousin is here. And uh a couple of other cousins have been drafted in packing books this December as well uh, after school. So um, mm. it's yeah, we're 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 around a while and we're
1: very lucky. And yeah, there's a, an endless number of kenny's. Fantastic! It's a it's fantastic that the family business can uh, can touch all your lives like that. And I suppose like you've you've obviously grown up with books all your life. Then just uh, with, the, with the bookshop always being there. Yeah. Oh God. Absolutely.
0: I mean. Um, it was yeah. I used to love getting sick in school, you know, yeah. because dad would come home with a ton of books, <laughs> and um, so I had all the classics read when I was very young. Or he'd read them to me, and it, it, there was never an issue with. Uh, um, you mentioned in your introduction there, about like uh, the toy shop and whatever, it was kind of like that because at Christmas there was never an issue with getting whatever the new big kids book was. You know, it was never. Mm-hmm. I, I we'd always manage to have it, and there was always books around. You know, and, and Dad would be, he'd be off on a Saturday night. You know, he'd come home and he, he the car would be full of books that he bought in Wicklow that day or something. You know, and uh, and when I mean full, I mean you know. It, the guards would be stopping you now. <laughs> <with that laughs> but you, you could just about reach the gearbox, mm. and the excitement—you know—when you'd be able to to go in and and have a rummage through and and see what was there, and you'd get a get gained a very great appreciation. Um, I suppose for which books were rare, which books were more valuable, but just an appreciation for books generally. And uh, yeah, because it, you know every family gathering was, you know, basically everyone who worked together. So you know the the natural i mean not that we all just talk about the bookshop all the time but i mean it was mm-hmm. it was always there and always in the background and um uh it's been constantly the the great theme of of my life and certainly of you know my father and and and, and his his generation's life and uh yeah like i say we're we're very fortunate with
1: it you know that, absolutely. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to have, have books around you growing up and just have have those things as part of your life. So, I mean, yeah, having books then, so you were obviously an avid reader from a very young age then?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you'd no choice. <laughs> 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 because, like, I, I mean, I even remember when um, I was talking to my granny, who who I was lucky enough to work with uh, uh, for about 10 years. Uh, she was the matriarch and, and the... um, Seamus Heaney called her the Madonna of the manuscripts which which stuck uh, Mm. but I remember her saying to me when I was you know 16 or 17 and talking about going to college and there was no question of you know was I going to be go doing engineering or you know medicine Mm. or whatever it might be you were going to do arts and you were going to do English and what else (laughs) 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 and uh, um, you know yeah I saw yeah I was an avid I mean she she was from Mohul in in Leitrim Mm. And uh, very, very proud of it. And uh, so John McGarhan, who was from down the road from there, was, you know, her absolute great hero. Um, And so even as a young child, she very much kind of instilled in me trying to get... First of all, trying to collect McGarren, so I, I started to get all his first editions. Um, but reading him as a young child, or as not as a young child, but certainly as a young teenager, um, and starting to read, and I became a huge fan of his. And and he, he was the first writer who, let's say, was not a children's writer, who I remember reading and. Um, yeah, there was, I mean, there was there was so much, you know, like everyone had a suggestion or a recommendation or a, this is, you know, this is what you should read next. And then there was There was never a difficulty in getting it. So uh, it meant, you know, the access was always there. And like my house, you know, my, my home house with, with my folks is is... Do you know, there—I don't know—there must be thirty thousand books in the house. You know, and uh, and like my dad is is a local historian, so he has three thousand books on Galway history, for example, which has to be the best collection almost anywhere. 3, so I an inter- yeah, it's fantastic, and I, I developed an interest in that at a young age as well. So I ended up writing a small book on Galway history after after college. You know, which was totally down to to my father and to his interest and also to the the stuff being available. Um, so it was impossible to escape, you know, and I I mean that in the best possible way, you know, it Mm -hmm. was was all encompassing. It was everywhere. There's, you know, you'd, 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 he'd come home one night, dad, and he'd say, you know, let's say Seamus Heaney is coming to the shop in two weeks. So you'd want to read a couple of Seamus Heaney books or a book before you'd meet him. And, uh, you know, there were like, i young Chang, wild swans, her her book, which came out in the nineties, uh, was about three generations of Chinese women growing up, and that was an enormous, enormously successful book. And, I remember, uh, yeah, and she came to the gallery, and uh, there's an amazing photo of her signing, and she's sitting at her old signing table, and there's about sixty uh, people queuing up, and every single one of them is a woman. Uh, you know, oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's a really, um, I suppose, amazing image. Uh, hanging up here in, in the shop uh, now. But, it, you know, I remember when she was coming, I mean, she was, you know, like that really shook me because like she was, you know, on the BBC News every night or, you know, she was, was she was was a big deal. And I was like, she's coming to our shop, you know? And uh, so I remember reading that when I was probably too young to be reading it, to be honest. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was it meant our reading was always very varied and always very different, which is crucial to be working in a bookshop now, because the last thing you want to do is just love, let's say sci-fi and only read sci-fi or just love, you know, history books and only read that. Or So um, it's meant, you know, that our yeah, reading is my reading. Certainly has been very varied over the years. And uh, it's something I'm really, really grateful for because it, it, it I think it, keeps an open mind, you know, and, and, and allows you out of your comfort zone. And I mean, even this year, there's a few of the books I've read this year that I probably wouldn't have read uh, in years gone by. And I've you mm-hmm. know, been very pleasantly surprised, you know, by how good they've been. So um, so,
1: yeah, you mentioned John McGarren there. And I know your, your grandparents said the book in uh, the bookshop in 1940. And then 1940 onwards, around the time, um, I guess, um. Would be maybe the high watermark of Irish censorship, particularly book censorship, and selling a book, uh, running a bookshop in Ireland, particularly. And uh, John McGahern would have been one of the um, writers singled out by the Irish censorship institution. That was that must have been a, um, I guess that must have been a challenging environment for people who actually for booksellers who just love books. Yeah, oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah, and and I mean some of the w- Walter Mackin. Uh, is my uncle and i mean he, he, his his some of his books are i mean har- pretty harmless in terms of their content you know fabulous books but but they're mm-hmm. certainly not you know anti-church or anti- you know they're they're not very sexy or they're you know there's no you, you could read them in Think and, and yet he had a book band, you know, and, and I mean, mm. everybody, you know, had stuff. banned. I mean, our, the way that the shop began, um, because they I mean, they had no money, you know, just the middle of World War Two. Uh, so what they did was they set up a lending library initially and they had these dust jackets um, which would go on the book and they would say Kenny's bookshop, you know, and then they'd have the on the back would have the um, the the fees, you know, for you know, this is what it's costs for three days, a week, two weeks, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and then it would have the name of the book written uh, in in a little kind of uh, space for handwriting. And uh, yeah. I remember my granny telling me that, you know, that she would say, like, it might say the Bible, you know, but underneath it would be Lady Chatterley's Lover. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> so just in case anybody came in, you know, it was... Uh, uh, they they were covered, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. I mean, the censorship obviously was a you know horrific thing. And, and I mean, um, and, and, and interestingly enough, I suppose the Irish language is is a great example of that because you could write anything in Irish and it wasn't going to get censored. And mm-hmm. so, of the period, an awful lot more experimental literature and. Really high quality. Not that there was, there was there was no lack of high quality literature being produced by Irish people at the time in English, but there was certainly in terms of what was maybe published on the island, uh, mm-hmm. the Irish language stuff was was possibly certainly more experimental and, and ahead of its time, um, because it didn't have that stifling uh, attitude towards it, which I always find interesting. Um, you know, I think it's 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 very very, you know, that it, it, it was allowed to happen.
1: Very much so in the, in the some of the Irish language content written in the mid-century was was so daring. When you think think about obviously on on Trial being a, being something even now still packs a punch, and that was written back over over, over, over half a century ago. Yeah, as well as some of the other Kathleen Maud poetry and things like that, which were um, daring in a way. And I guess so mu- so much of Ireland's literary scene in the mid-century was written by people who actually worked for um, whose day job was in some was in some. Um, branch of the state so even even if they weren't censored the fear of censorship and the broader consequences could have had for their professional career. Yeah
0: exactly well I mean that's it I mean you talk about John McGarren I mean he was fired from his job as a teacher effectively
1: um, after he mm-hmm.
0: brought out his first book and uh, um, yeah absolutely I mean there was so many of them you know were the were similar to Flan O'Brien I suppose working you know as a civil servant by day and author by night and um, it was a It was an interesting thing because in in some ways, I suppose, you know, uh, it seems that the state was actually... The patron, you know, mm-hmm. in that some of these authors, you know, having read a couple of their biographies, didn't necessarily seem like the world's greatest civil servants, <laughs> you know. No, <laughs> they had some people watching over them, I think, to make sure that they uh, they they kept their jobs so they could write their books, and uh, uh, so maybe it wasn't all it wasn't all bad. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, but it, it, it's um, yeah, like the the Irish language. I mean, Fan of Brian, for example. I mean, I'm Bill Buck. It's harder to imagine. I think a, a more amazing book, um, you know, coming out of Ireland and, and the, like in, in the, the middle half twentieth century. I just think it's the, you know it it doesn't ever get the credit. People talk about when they talk about the great Irish language books, and they're they're right. You know, they talk about Crain Achilla, and um, you know, like uh, there. I mean, there are several, I suppose, on Turlough. You know, a few of them, but but I think on Belbook stands up with any of them, and. Uh, and it's really daring and it's really smart ass and, it, you know, it's kind of po- poking fun at the state and at the, you know, and, and yet it, it passed by on notice in a way that it never would have had it been in English. So uh, it, it's, <laughs> um, hmm. it was, uh, you know, a great time, I suppose, in a lot of ways, because the state also, you know which on Bell Book is is satirizing the amount of uh, of Irish language you know that all you had to do was you know write down your life story in Irish and it was guaranteed to get published if you could just write it in Irish because yeah. they desperately wanted and uh but, but there was something wonderful about that at the same time. Do you know that, that that they were trying to create a literature from nothing and they were supporting it and sponsoring it and there were some amazing people. I mean, still Ligstil, that publisher, they were just amazing. And and, and uh, when you look down the list of the writers that they published and what they published uh, and, and for very little return, um, but the state managed to support them and sponsor them to some degree and... Uh, I'm very lucky that they
1: did. We are very lucky that it was. It's a wonderful contribution, and even I suppose we, we we did an episode recently on Peg Sayers and how maybe in some ways that that woman a woman from with that life story would not normally have um, had access to um, maybe wouldn't have got got through the door of a publishing house in normal circumstances, and we now have evidence of of a of remarkable life and a way of life that maybe would have could have easily gotten been been forgotten otherwise, and obviously um, Bryan himself came from one, one of the Gaelic areas that wasn't designated Gaelic because it was just slightly on the other side of the border and a lot of that has just been forgotten now in a way that wasn't supported and you can you do get a sense of what's lost then when you and and why it's so important to keep what's what's actually still there
0: oh absolutely yeah i mean um uh, Sullivan who wrote Feileanach Foss um which is another really because the blasket is is so associated with um, Pegasus, and uh, and then Antalona kind of gets the the other recognition. Fibrinic Force is just an amazing, amazing um, uh, book, and, and and one of the real, I think, great books of. Uh, uh, Certainly of my life. And the reason I, I I read it was because he um he actually he, it's very sad. He he died, he drowned Mauricio Sylvan in Silver Strand in Barna in Galway, which is he was posted as a guard here. And uh, uh, that's it's about kind of a hundred yards from my house and or where mm-hmm. I grew up. So my dad was telling me the story as as a child, you know, that he you know, he, he knew him and and, and and what had happened or whatever. and whatever and and thus I should read his book. And but I, it's, it's one of the great tragedies, I suppose, of of Irish literature that, you know, that book is forgotten. I mean, it, it was translated, but it's a really superb illustration of life as it was at the time. And, and you know, in the kind of early to mid 20th century pre-war sort of horror and yet wonderful kind of fun and enjoyment and, and, and all the rest of it and it's it's lost and, and because it's it was written in irish it has a far smaller audience than it would have had had it been written in english even though it was translated do you know by their very nature translated works tend not to get the same level of press and sales as uh, you know whether that's from french into english or irish into english it's the same deal mm-hmm. um and uh, i often think of that there, there are so many works by Irish people from the 20th century, in particular, that are just happen to be in—I don't want to say the wrong language, but the wrong language—to get the the maybe the mass appeal that they deserve, and certainly the the insight into into Ireland and into Irish life that they they can provide. You know, that's it's 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 at risk of being lost. I think sometimes you know, and um, just because of the fact that they were written as uh, Quelga which is an awful pity. And, um, so we, we try our best to, to, push people towards them, you know? And, and, and I do think sometimes, I mean, I, I don't want to give out, um, <laughs> but there are some books that are not published or not freely available that would make me pull my hair out, you know? So like, Horika Cunera, um, who, <laughs> my, is another one I used to get told stories of because he was obviously from Galway and, uh, my great grandfather uh, was one of the founders of the Conic Tribune and he was the mm-hmm. editor and they published a lot of Pork's stories uh, initially. They were the, they were the so I think Horrick uh, was a bit fond of the the sauce, so he, mm-hmm. he my my great grandfather used to lock him in a room with a typewriter and tell him he couldn't, <laughs> couldn't come out until there was a story, and uh, you know, and then I think I got you know I, I think they went down to the pub and, and drank the proceeds when when uh, when the story finally surfaced, but um, you know he's on the leaving ter- leaving search uh, curriculum and. Yeah. Uh, as 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 well he should be, and Gelta was you know the kind of the collection was published in 1984, and he had, a, he, had a, he had a load of um, other other kind of editions or a, lo- a load of other kind of single editions of smaller you know three four five stories, but Gelta has about 16 or 17 stories in it. Hasn't been published since, and there was an English language um, edition of his of his uh, short stories, which was published in by Pulbeg in the early 90s and um, I think it was Poolebeg, but it, it, uh, that went out of print almost immediately um, because you had every Leaving Cert student who was doing Boric O'Connor desperately trying to read the book, the, the, the stories in English as yeah. well as in Irish, you know, to, to get a better understanding. Out of print immediately, you know, like it doesn't take a genius to go, why don't we just publish a dual language edition of of the two of these, you know? And yeah. um, and there are, there are lots of, things like that, you know, I mean, it, it leads to, I think I think the problem with the way, particularly with the leaving search, you know, I mean, people have talked ad nauseum about it, you know, but the way it's taught and, and, and it being good or ill, and, and, and but obviously it, it fosters negativity in so many people towards the language. And I think if there were those sorts of, you know, assets there in terms of poor being available in true language, I mean, that'd be just a small one, but it's a mm-hmm. simple one. And, and the state gives so much money. To uh, Irish language publishing houses, um, you know that it wouldn't. It certainly wouldn't cost any more money than they're giving right now to get something like that published, and it just seems like a no-brainer to me. And yet, it hasn't been done. Now, there may be rights issues, and I, I don't know, um, but there are certainly. Some, you know, I, I really feel like the country is missing a trick in terms of uh, Irish language literature. You know both, in ter- you know, from that level. I mean, another great, great problem is that if you have somebody, and we used to get people coming in all the time, we still do, mm-hmm. um, looking for like Buntus Concha or whatever it might be, you know, some sort of let's learn Irish thing. And so they, they, they go through and they learn their grammar and they learn their sentences and, and all the rest of it. And they, they, they come to a sort of, you know, poor but passable level of Irish. There's nothing for them to read at that point that isn't you know a yeah. children's like book
1: and this, the, if, this is something I, I, I've often thought about the idea that actually you don't have a, a lot lot of material that's kind of at that level that's for an adult but that's maybe at, at, on, a, on a learner level and it's um and I do understand that I mean for people who are fluent in Irish that there, there should be material available for them to actually to enjoy and I, I know that one of the arguments is that that the Irish language publishing should serve um, daily Irish speakers as, as well as learners, but I, I know where, where do you go when you've gone from kind of your your Duolingo and you want to take the next step and be it's it is you can you can sometimes find a it's a find a lack of choice at that stage, it's a yeah, critical stage I,
0: and I mean see I think some of the problem with the possibly the state support for Irish language publishing is that it's. Uh, you know and I, I don't want to it sounds bad saying this but it's it's maybe a risk of not being commercial enough you know because there's no commercial consideration um, or very 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 little so it, it it just wants to publish high quality material which is fantastic yeah. and entirely laudable but without that sort of commercial element to it and obviously speaking as a bookseller <laughs> wants yeah. to sell these books um, if there's no if there's no impetus, if, if people don't have to sell these books, if, so if, you know, if, if next year's you know um, arts council grant or whatever is not dependent on me selling X, you know, then there's no impetus to go out and sell them. First of all, so maybe they don't reach as wide an audience as they could, but that's that's a slightly separate issue. But I think certainly, if the state is supporting it, they should be able to go. Look, there is this gap, and we, the state. Are responsible for trying to you know through this money we're trying to improve irish in society as a whole and how do we you know how do we accomplish that and certainly those middle books you know for 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 learners who as you say have maybe just finished duolingo or whatever you know, that's. I mean, certainly, it's 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 one place I would target. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of people who we've almost had to turn away, um, because mm. um, because of that. You know, and and you know, you end up giving them like Warrower and Dart or something that we all did when we were in our junior cert. You know, mm. and uh, like, and, and as good as that is, you know, uh, that's no slight in real life or any, anybody else, but like, it, it's 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 disappointing that there isn't enough of a middle ground there. Um. But I do think Irish language literature, or Irish language publishing, I should say, has come on leaps and bounds in the last twenty years. You know, there are some publishers like mm-hmm. who are fantastic. The kids' publishing, children's publishing in, in particular, has just—it's—it's it's sensational, and it's amazing to see the amount of people walking into the shop here who are. Um, buying Irish language kids books you know and specifically rooting out Irish language kids books for their children or their nieces or their nephews or their grandkids or whatever as opposed to um English language you know and it, and, it, and it's 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 a, it's a choice and uh, you know mm-hmm. that they're they're consciously making um, but now there is that option there because there's so much Good work being done and and has been done over over a significant period of time now, that you can uh, that you can get that and uh, and it wasn't always the case and, and it's
1: yeah. and this is and 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 to to put those kind of those remark your remarks in this in context particularly about uh, your your views on what where publishing go, Kenny's has very solid um, reputation and commitment to selling Irish language uh, content um, um, on through your website and through the actual bookshop and promoting it uh, you've. you've you push and promote Irish language um, content as, mo- as much as anyone in the country.
0: Yeah, uh, it's, look, it's really, really, really important to us. Um, hugely, hugely important to us. Uh, we, I suppose, were like, uh, you know, I was officially born in the Baltics, you know, like you throw a stone, I, w- I wasn't in the Baltics. But I mean, you know, it was, it was there growing up. But the family, like my both of my grandparents, uh, were uh, fluent Irish speakers. You know, they had a, they had college out in Cairo. Um, like my father is fluent. You know, most of his family are fluent, not all. Um, and then I would have had to go to school. Not had to go to school, but I was I was sent to school through Irish. And uh, you know, it, w- it was always a big deal to us. But I not so much. I let's say there was no blind adherence to the language or, or blind faith in it or anything like that. It was, you know. I, I suppose the bookshop was always a celebration of Irish culture. You know, Irish interest books were what we were known about. And whether they happened to be published in Irish or English didn't um, change the fact that they were excellent or good or whatever. And uh, it, from a nakedly commercial perspective, I have never understood why so many people disregard um, Irish language books, you know, because, sure, they're never going to you know, you're never going to be number one on the bestseller list. Um, you know, there, there isn't that sort of a market out there. But, I mean, we sell, for example, secondhand books. So, we have about 20,000 Irish language books secondhand in the shop. And, okay. yeah, I mean, it's it's an awful lot. Like, you know, we wouldn't be far off. You know, that's probably, we've probably got 70, 75% of every book published in Ireland, published in Irish in the 20th century uh, here. And, uh, you know, it, it's... I've heard of people throwing them out, you know, like I know of one county library which literally dumped all of their Irish language books to make space oh for English books, yeah. Um, I, You know, I know of other booksellers who who just said there's no market for it, I'm, I'm getting rid of it. And I mean, it's interesting to note, like obviously our, our, our bookshop is, is we're well known for having a bookshop, we're also well known for having an online bookshop. And uh, it's, it's interesting to note, like, about thirty to forty percent of our Irish language sales go abroad, um, so you know that there is a proper market for them outside of outside of the country, which uh, you know is amazing. And, and I mean, some of them, like uh, I'm talking about Unbail Book, we sent forty copies of Unbail Book last year to Austin, Texas, for a book club. Yeah, and now that one did surprise me, I have to say. Um, But uh, yeah, 40 copies and 40 uh, folklore pokers with it. (laughs) Um, And uh, it was, uh, you know, it was lovely, really nice. But but there is that market outside. And and again, I mean, like, you know, we're like, we're, I suppose, we want to promote the Irish language. We want to promote Irish language work. um, And we believe in the quality of it. But also, like, I, I do think, you know, it's, it's, it's been a help to us um, over the years, you know, because people come and associate you with it then. And, and uh, you know, for the vast bulk of people, that's a positive association. And uh, and again, I mean, it's, you know, we do a lot of work with libraries in the States uh, at, at, a, at a, you know, selling them huge collections kind of of either books or archival material down to selling them kind of one book for five euro. Uh, you know, and anything in between. And, and an awful lot of the the libraries that we deal with are the reason they're buying off us or, or off people in Ireland is because they're interested in Irish stuff. So they tend to be the libraries we'd all associate, you know, like Notre Dame and Boston College and places that yeah. have Irish studies programs. But they have Irish studies programs and they're generally staffed by Irish people who are Irish speakers because that's mm-hmm. why they got the jobs there in the first instance. And, uh, so being able to do anything in Irish, do you know, like, and, and I mean, like it, c- it can be at any big or small level. It can be right in the mass at the end of a, <laughs> an email. Do you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's something that we're, we're both proud of, but we're not blind to the fact that we think it's an advantage as well. Sometimes, you know, the people, you know, it, 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 it's something people like to see and like to, to be aware of. And, uh, you know, it's so we're we're not afraid to say that either. You know, um, uh, it's, it's not just just about let's, you know, protect the language, save the language. While that is part of
1: it. It's, it's certainly not all of it. We'll be right back after this message from another show on the Stuff Podcast Network. The World According to Wikipedia is a podcast that pops the hood of Wikipedia and invites you to take a look inside. Each episode, we will talk to someone from
0: the Wikimedia community on topics like why are only 18% of biographies about women? Can editing Wikipedia be a protest or activism? And what is it like for the communities working on the 200 plus Wikipedias that are not in English? Subscribe on your podcast of choice and follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia.
1: Tell me now about, I guess, the, like typically you'd be having in a normal year when there isn't a pandemic going on um there'd be there'd be book launches um there'd be people walking in asking questions like well, you know the, the the normal business of a, of you know of a, of a of a bookseller's place in the community how this year was very different um well, yeah. like how how are people like the when you think about the, the role a a in the bookshop has between putting putting picking books to put in the window, having those launches, meeting those writers and writers coming in to kind of you know see how their books doing and re- recommendations to people who come up and say they want a book about a boy wizard but not that one, um
0: you know how the yellow pine you know yeah kind
1: of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> There's a yellow book I I've seen it. Ryan I, Turbitt I was talking about it last week.
0: Yeah. There was a, there was a very famous poetry book um, in uh, and it was it was designed to piss off booksellers. Excuse my French, but it was <laughs> it, like it was uh, a yellow book uh, and it was bright. I mean, like you know, y- you could you could wear it cycling home, kind of a thing. It was so bright, and all it had on it was uh, an orange. Or sorry, banana, and it was called oh. orange. That was the title of the book. Right? Oh gosh! <laughs> and <God>. and uh, <laughs> people coming in, going, "Do you have that?" But I'd be like, "Oh, so it was designed designed to wind us up, I think." But uh, yeah, it's it's been a really different year. You know, it, it has been a really, really, really different year, and, and, and I mean for everybody and anybody. And um, I, uh, you know, we've no, as you say, we've no book launches. We've you know, customers as of twenty four hours ago. Uh, again, um. But it's like the, the book industry has changed so much over the past 20 years. I'm 20 years, give or take, full time here um, mm. and probably 30 years working here in some way, shape or form. And, you know, in that time, like books were dead and um, e-readers were taking over the world. Uh, you know, bookshops, high street bookshops were dead. Amazon was taking over the world and. Um, you know, th- there has been various, I suppose, massive changes and, and and you know, uh, we're relatively well used to, and certainly here um, w- we do so many different things, which can sometimes be a hindrance, um, like we do second-hand books, we do antiquarian books, we do new books, we do library supply, we do archive sales, we have an art gallery, um, so what generally tends to happen with us is one part of the business isn't doing so well. And then the other, you know, another picks up. So we're fairly used to pivoting and and kind of, uh, you know, going behind uh, one aspect of it or or changing it. But the the big, the big issue for us this year, um, which might not have maybe affected other uh, booksellers in the country to the same level, but the week before the first lockdown in March, um, we shipped to about 150, 160 countries, which would have been an average week for us, that, that sort of level of of countries. And then on the 27th of March was lockdown. And I think it was the 29th or the 30th on post emailed and said, we can now only ship to 16 countries in the world. And oh. uh, so overnight, our whole business was basically, you know, cut off at the head. Um, so... That was that was very very challenging so then you know so we have to I suppose we go right well all we can ship basically is to Ireland really and you know I mean like some of the other 16 countries you know it wasn't like they were France Germany Canada America and England you know it was you know Latvia you could still ship to but you could <laughs> Austria you know or France you know like there was there was very um uh, so so we said right it's Ireland or nothing you know that's the only way we're gonna get through this and yeah. uh uh, we were really lucky, you know. I mean, I know I said it at the start, but God, like, you know, when I think of it now, because there was, it was really, I mean, for everybody in the country, but it was a really terrifying few weeks, you know. We still weren't sure, you know, whether we could come to work because we were allowed to operate as an online retailer, um. But you know, it was it was slightly confusing who's allowed in, who isn't, um, and you know, we're we're just terrified because you know, all of a sudden the money is not coming in, and you've still got the money going out, and uh. You know, it was really, really terrifying. So we were so lucky, you know, like I say, I said it at the start, but it was so lucky that people in Ireland rallied around us and every other independent bookstore and chains, you know, let's let call us spade a spade. I mean Easton's are just as valuable to the Irish literary scene or Dubray, or whoever, you know, mm-hmm. as anybody else. And, and 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 people in Ireland rallied around, you know, all of us. Um and, you know, that's why we're all still here. I mean, it's remarkable, you know, there's nobody is closed. Um, and it's, uh, you know, hopefully we can we can all look forward to a better future where we can have those book launches and be clinking wine glasses and all the rest of it in the not-too-distant future. But um, it's been a really, yeah, weird, weird year. And it's not done yet because it's the 2nd of December now. And, I mean, I'd normally be gearing up for Christmas But we still don't know what sort of Christmas to expect because the shops have just reopened. And, you know, is that going to decimate the online business while simultaneously making the shop really busy? Uh, you know, which would mean we'd have to move staff around here and, and change the focus. We don't know what that's going to look like. We, we have no idea. Um, you know, there's post delays at the moment into us and out from us. So, you know, that that changes what we can and can't do here. Uh, so we have to carry an awful lot more stock. I mean, our stock levels now. Um, Without boring you with figures, but we've got about thirty times the amount of stock, new book stock that we we had at this time last year, okay. uh, because we're we want to have it here to ship immediately as soon as there's an order, Do you know, and 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 the very nature of of um, of online book selling, particularly, is this. Let's say the Irish Book Awards were last week, last Thursday. So that evening, you get a massive spike for orders for the winners, and yeah. um, as such you might not have all of those physically in the shop. So uh, you might have to then get them in from the publisher to to replace and to ship out. And we we, we generally do that very, very quickly. It would happen within kind of 24 hours normally. But at the moment, that can't happen because the, the courier is out and it's quick. Um, so as a consequence, we now have so much more than we would have previously have, which brings its own worry because you've got to pay for them and books are expensive um, when you're buying them in, in large numbers. But uh, mm-hmm. But like I say, we're so lucky that people have you know, have responded to it and have supported us and, you know, and I have to say it's, it's possibly their most remarkable year ever in Irish publishing, you know, um, the amount of amazing books that have come out of this country this year is phenomenal. And it's really, really helped because there's never been a shortage of stuff to be, you know, um, I suppose recommending to people or for people to be looking for. And, uh, And the flip side then as well is there was almost nothing published between April and and, and kind of August because publishers didn't want to publish when there was no bookshops open. Of course. So that meant that everything was pushed back to Christmas. So it's both a blessing and a curse, but you've now got a glut of titles, you know? So you've got people who were who might normally be buying two or three books who are buying four or five books now because, you know, all their favourite authors all have a book all at the same time. Um, and uh, so, like I say, it's it's it, it can be a blessing and a curse maybe because it's hard to keep track of everything. But it's, uh, yeah, it's certainly been a, a year like no other and, and all we can do is hope. I mean, I'm sure next year is going to be a year like no other as well. <laughs> I hope it, it'll be heading back towards uh, something we can all recognise, you know.
1: Tell me about some of the books that really kind of um, have broke through this year. Kind of books that have been very um, that you've been happy to support. Books that have been particularly interesting, or that have really that that you've noticed kind of really connecting with your with your customers.
0: Yeah, well, well, the number one one, and I'm sure everyone who's heard me anywhere else will be bored of me um, going on about this. But the I think the best book of the year, and, and of the last several years, is. Uh, uh, a Ghost in the Throat by Dernie Griefer, who mm. I, yeah, I don't on a couple of weeks ago. Um, I just think it's the most amazing, amazing book. I mean, it's just, she's the, like, forgetting about what it's about and um, any of that, like, you know, the kind of, it, she's just, her writing is sensational and it's so, so, so good. And the story then is amazing. I, I mean, I know she refers to it as an adventure story, um, but it's you know, and, and it is. It got it absolutely is. But it, but it's 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 part memoir, it's part poetry, it's part you know, it's it, it's kind of got so many things rolled into one. And um, you'd almost be nervous that that might put some people off, you know, because it's so hard to categorize, you know. Um, mm. uh, but it, it hasn't. I mean, people, everyone is talking about it. Everyone is. Um, reading it you know and which as as they absolutely should i just think it's it's sensational i mean Dern is you know hugely hugely talented and you know she's obviously well known as a poet um and and she's just remarkable but but the book is something else i mean i like I said i've i haven't i've never read anything like it um and it's definitely uh my favorite book of you know of the last year and several years but there's yeah, it's been a, it's been a really wonderful year. I mean, the the big selling book in the country at the moment um, is, I think, possibly the the gift that everyone is going to be getting under the tree if they can mm. meet their their uh, their family this this Christmas is um, Old Ireland in Colour, yes. which uh, mm. yeah, John Breslin and Sarah Ann Buckley they they um, they colourised old photos, um, and it's 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 a it's a really remarkable thing because it's it's a history of ireland i suppose over the last 130 140 years um in a you know in a picture book format but the colorization which you know i'd have had my when i saw the that it was coming out i'll be honest i would have had my doubts about it because you know i, I it, it it feels it, well it felt before i looked at the book slightly inauthentic to me um, but it's really not and it brings the book it brings the photos to life um and, and you know and brings history to life in a way that is something I've never seen before, and it's 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 really 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 good, and it's a perfect gift because almost anybody will be interested in it. Um, the only difficulty anybody is having, and, and this is a problem across the board at the moment, is uh, getting a hold of a copy is not always that easy because it's been going out of print um, quicker than they can print it. Uh, which, like I said, it, lots of books are having that issue this year because. Because there's so little published between April and, and August, the printers are all so chock a block now printing regular books that if a book goes out of print, they they don't necessarily have the time to reprint uh, something. So there's 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 big delays now between you know um, when a book is out of print and when it when it's reprinted, which would normally not be the case. So if if that's something that people would like to get, I'd advise them to get it sooner rather than later because um, it's just selling like hotcakes,
1: like hotcakes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. yeah, there's any amount of them. I mean, there really is, you know, like it, it's, you know, the, the literature, there's so much, you know, there's like Liz Nugent's new book is amazing. Well, new book, it was out in March or April, but Our Little Cruelties. Um, Sarah Balm had a book, Handiwork, which is a really small, but wonderful ode to art and life, uh, which came out this year. Um, there's just, I, Champagne Football is, you know, I haven't read it yet, but everybody I talked about it says it's just an extraordinary book i mean that's the book on the fai and, and John and amy um and again that's that's a, it, it's a great book it's a sort of crossover in that you know it's it's a you tend to get sports books coming out at christmas that people yeah. want to read but it, it's a crossover uh, in that it's 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 a current affairs book as well as a as
1: well as a sports book this is what i was thinking because you know sports books often get a kind of a bad rap but mm. i mean they they are, they are widely read people do people are interested in sport and people do love sports writers journalists but and um, it's but somehow the, when it gets to the leap to I guess actual books particularly um, uh, the autobiographies of recently retired um, sports people they aren't treated as um, with maybe with the same kind of respect as other um, as say politicians memoirs or other things like that and but when a great sports book comes through uh, people absolutely love it
0: yeah oh absolutely I, I remember um... And now I, I was so sceptical. Uh, I had, This is, and people will, will laugh at me for calling this a sports book, but about 20 years ago, uh, there was a wrestler on the WWF called Mick Foley. I don't know if he's still wrestling or what, he. but he he wrote a book, an autobiography, and um, he wrote it himself. He had no ghostwriter. And a few people came into me in the shop and said, this is just like, it's so good. It's absolutely sensational. And you need to read it, you know? And I was like, I, you know, it wouldn't have been my particular cup of tea, I suppose, WWF stuff or WWE. And, and, but I read it um, because so many people came into me and said it. And it transcends the, the sport. And it's just good writing. And it, it gives you a window into a, into a different world. And absolutely, you know, sports autobiographies are like that. When a good one comes along, they can be fantastic and um, there can also be the ones you know for sure where it's you know Wayne Rooney being bringing out an autobiography at 19 years old or something <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you're going come on you know and it, it, it's, it's hard not to join people in their skepticism <laughs> sometimes you know yeah. Uh, but uh,
1: yeah like um I remember the year I won um, the, the year I was on the the Irish book awards for mother folklore I, and in the green room afterwards I met a philantic like man who written the choice and that's mm-hmm. pretty an, an an excellent example of a book I won one level as about sport but it's not really about sport it's about so much more about his own his own life and what what took him there and what what actually mm-hmm. playing meant to him and when yeah. Yeah. And
0: it's a window into society, into 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 you know inner Dublin and, and all the rest of it. Absolutely, I mean you know it, it's it's superb. And like by all accounts, um, I haven't read it now myself, but Sean O'Brien's autobiography is out this year. Uh, apparently, it's really 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 good. Um, I've had a couple people who I you would know and who would say tell me if they didn't think it was mm-hmm. you know who've come in and said it's 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 really really good. So yeah, it, like they can be much maligned, and you're apt. You're a hundred percent right. I mean they can. Um, they can fall into that category of, of uh, politicians. Autobiographies don't tend to get that sort of abuse. And politicians, they can absolutely be the same sort of cash-in you know type of thing i mean david cameron's autobiography was the absolute epitome of that where it's not it's not good at all you know like it's it's not yeah. it's in no way good and it was you know what what is the advance that i can get you know um and uh, there, there are like so there are examples of that but but it doesn't get the same level of you know kind of tutting um as as sports books you know but i suppose it's it, it there, there is a, there is sometimes a, a level of you know um, snobbery which you know in in books and in, in i suppose in culture in general which can be you know hard to dismiss and to dissuade people from you know like people tend to think of poetry for example as real high level you know stuff and uh, you know it doesn't. It's some, sometimes it dissuades people from reading it, which it shouldn't. And um, it, you know, then they all people, both who read poetry and who don't read poetry, sometimes have, you know, an, an attitude of, you know, maybe that they shouldn't have, you know, to, to other forms of literature. But it, and that can follow all over. You know, I mean, it's not just poetry. I'm just picking that as an example. But it's it's the same as absolutely true. Sports books of of, of current affairs books of you know. Um, whatever it might be and 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 so you know sometimes we can we can all I think possibly and myself included do a better job of opening our mind and reading uh, something that we wouldn't normally because you know they're all published for a reason and that's because there's a market for them and because somebody thought it was a good book and uh, you know you never know what you might find
1: do you ever notice say or as as in your in your career as a bookseller that one day suddenly you, you did not know why a book suddenly spiked popularity yeah
0: well it's it can. You certainly know um, if something has happened, you know. Mm. So, uh, if somebody dies, for example, um, which is a very morbid thing to say, but if somebody dies, you'll come in the next day, and you know, you might not have heard it on the news yet, but you'll see, you know, thirty or forty copies of their books selling, you know, secondhand or something, and you, you know, you see you'll 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 be very aware of things that are happening. Uh, I always think of, um, oh God, what was the name? There was, there was a book um, I bought. Uh, I, I, we used to buy these books from the States uh, uh, in 40,000 books at a time. And um, uh, so we, we'd, I'd go over, I, I, I'd, buy, I'd literally go and kind of browse through the shelves in these bookshops. I'd buy books, I'd put them on pallets or i get them put on pallets and I'd get a container ready and I'd, I'd get them to bring over. But we could always fit 40 pallets and, uh, if I'd only picked 32 or 33, a couple of the booksellers would say, well, i just throw on an extra few, you know, cause we were paying for the container anyway, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so I'd say a grand, you know? And I remember once, um, this guy, he sent me over, uh, and I opened up one pallet and it was, there was nothing on the pallet. I mean, absolutely nothing except John Ronson, a John Ronson book. Oh, I, I George Clooney ended up being in the movie. And um, Starcoats. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, there was like 1,400 copies of the Mini Staircoats. And I nearly, I was like, for fuck's sake, I was, what am I going to do with these, you know? And uh, so they, they and, and actually they were all yellow spines. So we ended up, uh, we, we started using some of them as, um, uh, like we do stuff for, we used to do stuff for open houses or for interior designers, you know, where they'd want uh, certain colours, you know, for shelves or whatever. And so we used them for that. But all of a sudden one day, it, I, I hadn't realized the movie was being made and it just started flying out the door um uh, and it took about three or four years you know uh, but i was you know oh my god so delighted that day um but it yeah books books can you know spike in popularity i mean this year above all years because there isn't that sort of same element of word of mouth um as maybe there would be when we're all in a normal situation where people can walk into a bookshop and the bookseller can say, oh, I recommend this if you'd like that. Or where you're talking to somebody or even yourself, you look at a shelf and you you go look for one book and it's not the one that catches your eye, it's the one next to it. You know, it's very hard online to find that same level of, you know, kind of browsing. And what's really, really happened this year then is the media has become an awful lot more important because so many people are getting their... Their, I suppose, what they want to read or what, you know, their lists of what they're going to go and buy from book reviews, you know, and they're always hugely influential. Um, like the Irish Times in particular, their uh, literary section is super, super influential in terms of what sells in the country. And um, it's, uh, you know, so, so it's, 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 it's been happening more this year that that's the case because there's, 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 there's less avenues for people to go to find other stuff um but increasingly uh twitter has become a fascinating i suppose place for that sort of thing because we've mm. noticed very very much that twitter has become a place where we sell books which it never ever used to be but in the last 12 months in particular um we've noticed that people are buying off there and that could be off us tweeting or off you know an author tweeting or whatever but it's mm. it's 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 allowed for I suppose the subversion of that media the general media um, trope uh, or you know and, and it's it, it, that the authors can now go direct to consumer a la Trump I suppose you know <laughs> yeah. directly to their people and 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 you know convince them or otherwise that their book is is um, is good and you know it, so so there yeah so book spike for I suppose all sorts of reasons um, you know and uh, but it's it's been a really weird year. For specifically that, you know, like that, it's 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 very very hard to tell uh, what the next trend is going to be, and you know, it's very very hard to get out in front of it. And um, particularly this Christmas, with so many books being published, you know, to take a, it'd take a genius to figure it out. But I mean, like ten years ago, they'd always used to say my uh, my aunts and uncles and my grandparents that there was always one book for Christmas, you know, um, where it would be the massive seller. And, uh, you know, that was the one everybody wanted. And when I started, that was absolutely true. And it's become less and less and less true over the years in that there's just such a wide variety of stuff being published now. There are more publishers. There are more books being published. Digital printing has allowed for smaller print runs, um, so yeah. publishers don't need to publish in huge numbers anymore, which means they can publish more things, you know? So instead of publishing one book and publishing 20,000 copies, they might now publish two or three and publish 5,000 copies of each. And it, it, it means there's a greater variety of stuff being out there in the marketplace. And it's also meant that there's not the same level of everybody wants. I mean, like I remember when the Pope's Children came out, Dave McWilliams, I mean, which is, I don't know, 20 years ago now, probably fifteen mm. years ago at least he couldn't get that book. You know, it was just so difficult to to get. And that was sort of the last of that type of thing happening. Where for sure there are massive sellers now, but they're um you know, there are lots of them and they're so it's it's a bit easier to to plan from that point of view.
1: So um before we wrap up, we'd love to ask all our guests what their favorite Irish word is.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about this. So I I have two. If I if I can, you be may. Somewhat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is uh, "Alan a river." I just love it. Um, I don't know why. I think there's a great when I when I when I read it, uh, see it written down, and when I speak it or somebody speaks it, or hear it aloud, I think there's a great flow to it. So I always think mm-hmm. of a river flowing from uh, from the word itself and. Uh, it's. I just. I really, really, um, really like it. And the other one is uh, Schnacke. Um, oh yeah. I just think it's. I mean, it, the 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 way it sounds is amazing. Obviously, as as a child, particularly growing up on the west coast, uh, there was always feck all snow, <laughs> so um, <laughs> hmm. it was it was hard to. Uh, it was, it was, it, I didn't see too much of it. So I, I certainly saw it written down and, and read it more often than I saw it. But it was, it had, It has a real magical and got the guttural sound of it. And Irish is obviously great for kind of guttural sounds. But I just think it's a wonderful word. And, um, you know, by, by consequence or by comparison, rather, I feel like snow is so. It's almost boring, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't get across any of the magic or anything that I think Schnachte does. And uh, I just love it. So absolutely. They, they'd be joined first place in, in my favourite Irish. Uh, show.
1: I love the music of the Schnachte, Tittum, as the, uh, like, as just the, 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 that combination of syllables just feels like especially magical. Amazing. Yeah, it's poetic,
0: isn't it? Yeah. yeah.
1: I definitely think so. No, those are, those are fantastic, fantastic words. Tomás, awesome. where? where can people find Kenny's Books Shops and Kenny's Books?
0: Uh, so they can, so we're based in um, in Galway, obviously, the, the bookshop in the Art Gallery is in Galway. Uh, we have a big warehouse and we're really, um, I suppose, lucky at the moment because it's outside the city. It's about 10 minutes walk from our square, so it's not too far, but we have our own parking and whatever. So big warehouse, social distancing and and, uh, and um, the car park outside means it's, it's, it's pretty handy at the moment for people. Uh, and then certainly the bulk of, of what we do is online on kenny's.ie um, and uh, we have give or take 1 million books on there with free shipping uh, in Ireland and it's only a euro for shipping anywhere outside of Ireland. So um, that's, yeah, that's where we where we do most of our work now.
1: Fantastic. Tomas. thank you so much for joining us today and uh, I, hope you, I hope you sell lots of books this Christmas. <laughs> Fingers crossed there. Thanks so much for having me. Great stuff. So, and until the next time, slunga fall. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Motherfucker comes out every Friday on the Headstuff Podcast Network. If you can't wait that long to get your next podcast to fix, Headstuff have a number of other fine shows, including the wonderful world of Wikipedia. Thanks to Prime for production. Thanks to Kirsten Scheele for art. You can contact the show at motherfuckloreheadstuff.org or better still, send us a voice message on the show's WhatsApp number. It's in our show notes. Don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts and consider supporting the show on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Derek. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. I have an editor who worked
0: with, you know, Michael D. Higgins.